Good morning, Southwoods. I have to confess I have a bad case of hurricaneitis going on in my life. I bet you do too. They've been on my mind for the last few weeks. They started to come ashore in Texas where I live, and I just couldn't get away from CNN or the Weather Channel. My mind's been on it. Probably you've already been checking it out this morning. In fact, by the time my sermon's done, you might have already checked your phone a couple more times if I don't keep you with me. I saw on the news all of a sudden the Hurricane Harvey landed in Texas and they started showing all the people gathering their boats and going out to find people in their homes. And it was in Dickinson, Texas. And my ears perked up because we have a one-year-old church in Dickinson. Right there. All the water. And then they switched over to the Brazos River where it runs through Richmond, Rosenberg, Texas. And my eyes perked up and my ears perked up too because we have a new church about six miles away in Needville. And then they went to Katy and they started to focus on how Katy, Texas was underwater. And my ears perked up again because we got a church planter who lives in Katy. Got my attention, holds my attention because all these guys and all these people and all these neighbors are having what I would call a very bad day. A rough day. Difficult situation. And I hear about these rough days, and this is the kind of thing that can sometimes get our attention. And, of course, we got Irma coming ashore this morning. And that people are going to have a rough, bad day. I heard about a bad day that happened in Florida a few years ago. They had this in the Florida newspaper. It said a man was working on his motorcycle on his patio, and his wife was in the house in the kitchen, and he was racing the engine on the motorcycle, and somehow the motorcycle slipped into gear while he was racing it. And he was straddling the handlebars, working it backwards. And when the motorcycle took off, it drug him and his bike through the glass doors, the patio, and took the bike right into the house and dumped him on the floor inside the house. And his wife, hearing all this commotion and the crash, ran into the dining room and found her husband laying there, cut, bleeding, needing to be taken to the hospital, and the motorcycle laying next to him. The patio door was shattered. She ran to the phone, summoned an ambulance. Because they lived on a fairly large hill, the wife went down several flights of steps to the uh, street, and she found the paramedics when they arrived and directed them upstairs. After the ambulance had arrived and transported the husband to the hospital, she got up and she went back to the house, and she uprighted the motorcycle and pushed it outside. And then she noticed that gasoline had spilled all over her kitchen and dining room floor. She got paper towels and she wiped up all the gasoline, cleaned it up, blotted it up, and threw the towels into the toilet. And then she ran to the hospital to get her husband because he was released, stitched up, and ready to come home. After arriving at home, he looked at his shattered patio door and the damage done to the motorcycle. He got a little depressed. He went into the bathroom, sat down on the toilet, and decided to smoke a cigarette. (laughs) After finishing the cigarette, he flipped it between his legs into the toilet bowl where he was seated. And his wife, who's in the kitchen, heard a loud explosion and her husband screaming. She ran into the bathroom, found her husband laying on the floor. His trousers had been blown off and he was suffering burns all over those parts. She ran again to the phone and called for an ambulance. And the same ambulance crew was dispatched. They met the wife at the street. They went up the uh, the stairs. They got the husband on a stretcher, began carrying him down the street to the street. And as they were going down the stairs to the street, accompanied by the wife, one of the paramedics asked... How did this happen? (laughs) On being told, they started laughing so hard one of the paramedics tripped, they dropped the stretcher, he (laughs) fell down the remaining steps, and he broke his arm. (laughs) Now that's a terrible, horrible, no good, very bad day. And there are people who are not having funny days, they're just having terrible, horrible, no good, very bad, difficult days. And I want to take you to the Psalms. 
if you would, open your Bibles and go to Psalm 62 or your iPad or your iPhone. Go to Psalm 62 because there is a psalm that I think was written for people who are having terrible, horrible, no good, very bad days. And it's likely that we're not going to have a hurricane come through Overland Park here, Kansas City, but right now anyway. But it's possible that you showed up today already having a hurricane in your life. Could have come from one of the kids, could have come from work, could have come from friendship, it could have come from family. I don't know where these hurricanes can come from. All I know is the Psalms are for people like us who are having difficult days, people who are in trouble. Did you notice that most of the Psalms presume at the very beginning before they even start that we're in trouble? The, the Psalms are written as though there's an assumption you're already starting from behind when you got up this morning. Psalm 1 begins, blessed is the man who does not do this, this, or this. It's already presuming we're doing it. Because God knows us and He knows our condition. And so God gives us information. Psalm 62 is for people who are having a rough day. Eugene Peterson writes this. He says, the human condition teeters on the edge of disaster. Human beings are in trouble most of the time. And those who don't know they're in trouble are in the worst kind of trouble themselves. Prayer is the language of people who are in trouble and who know they're in trouble and who believe that God can get them out of the trouble they're in. And Isaac Bashevis Singer once said this. He says, I only pray when I'm in trouble, but I'm in trouble all the time. So I pray all the time. You see, learning to pray without ceasing is not just deciding to grit my teeth and try harder. I learn to pray without ceasing simply by paying attention to the trouble I'm in. Because it's there, and it's there all the time. And the Psalms are here, and they're designed to teach us some basic truths. And so I'd like to walk us through a Psalm that teaches us how to find hope in God. In God only, God alone. And how to find that kind of help we need. I started into the Psalms years ago, and I found them to be a great help. My experience is, if I read one on Monday, I'm like, eh. I read it on Tuesday, huh. I get to it on Wednesday, "Uh uh-huh. On Thursday, that'll preach. On Friday, this is starting to work for me now. I'd like to introduce you to a psalm that I think could shape us. Whether we're already in a storm, or maybe we're learning from the storms other people go through. All of us have different learning styles. Some of us like to learn by reading. Some of us like to learn from hands-on. The best way to learn something is to learn from the pain of others. And there are a lot of people who are going through storms. And there's people in the scripture who went through storms and they gave us wisdom. They gave us counsel. Let's dig into this deep wisdom. Would you pray with me as we begin and we prepare to read the Word of God? Father God, would you speak into our hearts? Would you guide us? Would you direct us? Would you give us wisdom from you that can only come from you? You seem to presume, Jesus, that whenever you met people, they had eyes that weren't seeing and ears that weren't working. Would you give us eyes that see and ears that hear? And would you give us hearts that could be soft and could understand so we could take the truths you give us and we could put them to work? And we pray this in the name of our Lord Jesus. Amen. Psalm 62 begins like this in the version I've got. It says, For God alone my soul waits in silence. From Him comes my salvation. He alone, He only, is my rock and my salvation. He's my fortress. I'll not be greatly shaken. Now, there's a key word here in the Hebrew, and I don't usually go off on Hebrew words, but I want to teach you guys all one Hebrew word that you can put to work this week. You'll find it useful. It's the word only. It's the word alone. And it's pronounced like this. Ach. That's how you say it. And it's one of those rare Hebrew words that here, six times in Psalm 62, we're going to encounter this word. And it's the kind of word that has a lot of different uses. It can be used to say truly. 
It could also be used to say surely. It could be used to say only. It could be used to say alone. It could also be used to say yes. It could also be used to say no. It's one of those rare words. I could kind of hear a Hebrew mother using it. Mom, can I go to the mall? No. But mom, but mom, all my friends are hawk. Turn to somebody and just give them a good awk right now. Go ahead. Just give them. Yeah, yeah. Look at them and just say it because it works. It's one of those words that just comes into a lot of uses. And it says this. I like the NIV. My soul finds rest in God. What? Alone. Ach. That's a truth we have to capture. And it says this. I find rest. I wait in silence. I put all my hopes on God. And what? God alone. Ach. And this is one of the truths we have to pick up in Scripture is that it's this way and there's no other way about it. This is a sense of finality. This is a sense of absoluteness, concreteness, conclusion. This is basically saying this is done. There's only one truth that we have to capture here. Our soul, my soul, your soul, we're designed, if we try looking for happiness or joy or meaning or contentment anywhere else in all of the universe we're going to find ourselves missing it. Because our souls are designed to find our rest, our silence, our hope, in one source and one source only. God. Him. The one who creates. The one who guides. Now this sense of absoluteness is something that seems unnatural to modern years. We like to keep our options open. But you know what? They were like that too. They had all other kinds of idols and things they could turn to. But the Hebrew writers, the people who had lived long ago, they paid attention. They took notes. They started to notice generational lessons. And when they took attention, they paid those notes. They got all that information into their head. They arrived at some conclusions. And the conclusion they arrived at is, you're not going to find hope anywhere else but God. But we like to keep our options open. We look for things. Sometimes we get into sports. We buy boats. Sometimes we buy houses that we don't necessarily need, but we can go on vacation there. And I'd like you to think about how many people have a boat right now they wish they didn't have down there. How many vacation homes are going to be swamped? They're going to be a problem, not a joy. You see, we can fill our lives with things, but the psalmist and God would remind us that when it comes right down, those things are not good or bad, but if they become something we get fixated on, Uh, We're not going to find our joy or our happiness there. And we tend to look elsewhere. We're restless. We're grasping. We're searching. We're tossing about. Jesus described us through the scriptures as waves that are on the ocean. Or he sometimes looked at people and said, you're like a bunch of sheep that are wandering around. You've lost your shepherd. Come back to the shepherd because you've got a soul inside you. I've got one inside me and I'm going to be designed and I am working in such a way. I will find my happiness, my joy, my silence. In one place and one place alone, God. My soul finds rest in God alone. Now there's one of the truths that stands out for us. Sometimes though we go looking for other things. My son when he was young used to mow lawns so he could buy himself video games. I wouldn't pay for them. Then he found out there were different platforms to play the video games. I'm not going to pay for those either. I made him work for everything he bought. I took him to GameStop one day, and after mowing lawns for a few weeks, he'd collected enough money. He went in and bought some game and came out. He was just a little tyke. He was on, you know, maybe 10 or 11, 12. We're heading to the car, and I heard him mutter, oh, this is one of my life's ambitions. He bought his game. And you know what? Within about five days, he'd finished with that game, and he was looking for another thing to pursue. 
And how many of us are still doing that in our 40s and 50s and 60s? Ah, don't fall for it. Our souls are designed to find our rest in God, in God alone. And the problem is the things we collect can be snatched away from us in just a second. I could take you down into Texas and take you into communities where people are hauling stuff out of their homes and piling it on the side of the street for somebody to come and just take all their things away. Because they're ruined. But they're still whole. They're still alive. They still have this going for them. So here's truth number one that the psalmist would give us. Ancient truth, deep wisdom. Truth number one is this. Our souls are designed to find our rest in God and God alone. Ah, end of discussion. And we need to grasp that. We need to hold tight to that. Psalm 131 puts it together in a different way. It says, Oh, my heart, Lord, is not lifted up. My eyes are not raised too high. I don't occupy myself with things that are too great or too marvelous for me. But instead, I've calmed, I've quieted my soul down. And like a weaned child with its mother, like a weaned child, I've taught myself to cling to you. That's the message that the Scripture gives us. And it says, If we have this attitude that I am designed to find my hope in God and God alone... I won't be greatly shaken. It doesn't say here yet that I'm not going to be shaken at all. It just says that when stuff happens, I won't be greatly shaken. One of our church planters is in Katy, like I said, and he was outside of his home. They had to move to a hotel. Here's a fellow with three daughters and a wife and a female dog, and he's living in one single hotel room with them. And all they got is peanut butter and a chocolate bar. I don't think he got any chocolate. I think it was taken. And he's getting by, and I'm calling him, and he doesn't know whether his house is good or not. And one of his friends got in a boat and used their iPhone, and they recorded as they were boating back to the neighborhood. And as they were making the turn into his neighborhood, on the video, here's this much of a top of a pickup. The rest of it's underwater. But his soul was good. His soul was secure. He was shaken, but not greatly shaken, because he knew he's in God's hand. Our souls are designed to find our rest in God and God alone. Now, what is it that's the occasion that's upset this man? Let's go back to our verse. We've gotten one and two. Let's go to verse three and four. How long will all of you attack a man to batter him, to knock him down, like a leaning wall or a tottering fence? Here's our word. They only, ach. They plan to thrust him down from his high position, ach. They take pleasure in falsehood. They bless with their mouths, but inwardly they curse. The truth that God's wanting us to catch is, is number one, our souls are designed to find our rest in God and God only. Ah. Truth number two is, apart from God, this broken world is designed to do one thing and one thing only. Disappoint. You might say, that's harsh, Phil. That might just be a little too strong. Maybe negative or judgmental or maybe an overreaction, but I'd say, no, 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 no. Talk to some old-timers who've gone through life for a few decades and ask them, did getting a pay raise really change your life? Did getting that toy and buying those toys really make you happy? Did having an affair and a fling, did that really help things out? Oh, no, 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 no. This world throws us things and tempts us and entices us. But apart from God, everything around us is designed to leave us disappointed. Just go talk to some of the survivors of Hurricane Harvey. Come on down to Dallas. I'll take you down to the shelter where thousands of them are still there. And they will tell you they've got a whole new perspective on things that wasn't, wasn't in them. They didn't have three weeks ago, but they got it now. What's most important? 
Our soul is designed to find our rest in God and God alone. Hawk. And apart from God, this fallen world is a, buff, a rough place, bad place. And it's got some beauties and it's got some things and God can meet us here, but this world will leave us disappointed if God's not at the heart of it. And these are the truths that are here. Jesus knew this. He knew it not only about the world around him, but about people. He said in John, it says that he didn't entrust himself to anybody because he knew what was in the heart of man. Apart from his help, he knew that people would let him down. And we do sometimes. And we already had the passage read from John 16. It says, in this world you will have what? Trouble. Trouble. You're going to have a lot of them. Because this world is fallen. And apart from God, this world is designed to leave us disappointed. Ultimately, this falling world and everything it contains is going to leave me unfulfilled, disappointed, let down, disillusioned, distressed, disappointed. But I can have God at the heart of it and I can find joy in the midst of it. And so the psalmist says this, For God alone, ach, my soul waits in silence. From Him comes my salvation. He alone is my rock, my salvation, my fortress. I won't be greatly shaken. And how long will all of this come at me and try to knock me down? I feel like I'm a leaning wall or a tottering fence with the wind hitting it. And everyone around me seems to delight in falsehoods. They bless with their mouths, but in their hearts they curse. This is just a rough place. And then it has the word selah. Which we don't know exactly what that means, but it seems to mean in the Hebrew you're supposed to stop and ponder what you just said. And then the psalmist does something I like because I'm getting old and I'm starting to talk to myself every so often. The psalmist starts to talk to himself. Notice in the next verses, verses uh, 5 and 6, who's he talking to? He's now talking to himself. You know, you and I need to talk to ourselves sometimes. What does he say to himself? He says, For God only, O my soul, wait. Wait in silence. Hark! For God alone, wait in silence. Put your hope in Him. Rest in Him. Wait. For my hope is from Him. He only, there's that word again, He ach, is my rock and my salvation, my fortress. I won't be greatly shaken. Notice the change in tone here. He's talking to himself. He's giving himself his own little pep talk. Come on, Phil. One, two, three, four. What are we waiting for? No, you've you got to do this with ourselves. In the book of Romans, Paul says to us, have a renewing of our minds. Retrain the way we think. We need to give ourselves advice. And the advice is, wait. Be silent. Give God time. Or as one old timer put it this way, a good time to keep your mouth shut is when you're in deep water. <laughs> wait. Be silent. Give God time. And his conclusion for himself is, he says, I will not be shaken. Earlier he said, I just won't be greatly shaken. Now he says, I won't be shaken. I won't be shaken at all. This is resolve and confidence. This is determination and perspective. I can't keep my life from being stirred, but I can keep it from being shaken. My wife and I had our very first date back in 1985. We went to a James Bond movie. Sexy thing to do, you know. We've made every movie ever since. And I've noticed in the James Bond movie, he always orders his drinks shaken, not stirred. But you know what I've discovered? I can't control my life, but I can have my life stirred but not shaken. I can't keep things from happening that stir me, but I can keep things from letting them shake me. And the psalmist has discovered because of truth number one, my soul is designed to find my hope in God and God only. Ah! I also have truth number two. This world around me is designed to disappoint me apart from God. Ah! 
And he's talking to himself now, and he's coming to a conclusion here in verses 7 and 8. He says, On God my salvation and my glory rests. My mighty rock, my refuge is God. And so what do we do? Well, he's giving us advice. He's preaching now. He's telling you and I what we need to do. It says, Trust in Him when? At all times. And sometimes, no. Trust in Him regardless of the circumstance. At all times, turn your trust to Him. Oh, people, pour out your heart before Him because God is a refuge for us. Oh, we got people all over the place in Texas. They say that one out of every four Texans has been somehow negatively impacted by the storm. And it's not over. Now the cleanup. And we don't know how many Floridians are going to go through this. And you know what? We can learn some lessons by watching other people go through things. Or sometimes we have to let God stir up our own storms. But we don't need to go through our own storms to learn this lesson. Your soul is designed to find its rest. To find silence and hope in God and God only. Ah! My soul is designed that this world, apart from God being at the core of it, is designed to leave me disappointed. Ah! I need to pour out my soul to Him. I need to pour out my heart to Him because God is my refuge. And that's true for you if you cling to Him. Hebrews 11.6 says, Without faith it's impossible to please God. Not because He's upset, but because if we don't believe He's there and He's looking and wants to reward those of us who seek Him, we're not going to get connected to Him. So we connect ourselves to God and we throw ourselves at God and we look to God. And then it says this, those of low estate, in other words, poor people, are but a breath. There's that Hebrew word again, ach, but. They're a breath only, ach. They're a breath alone, ach. People who don't have much money, they don't have many options, ach. And those of high estate, you know, they think they got all the options, guess what? It's just a delusion. It's a lie. If a hurricane's coming down the street, it don't matter whether you have much money or no, uh, little money. If it hits your house, it's going to hit your house. You can, it won't make a difference. In the balances, it says they go up together. They're lighter than a breath. The temptation here is people who have a lot of money sometimes think that they're heavyweights. And people who don't have a lot of money feel like they're lightweights. But the re reality is, from God's perspective, is we're no weights at all. We need Him. Whether we got a little or a much. We need God. And it says here that the things are, uh, it says, in the balances they go up and together they're but a breath. Then it says, don't put any trust in extortion or set no vain hopes in robbery. Don't be fighting for things. Don't be pushing for things. If your riches increase, set not your heart on them. If your stuff increases, set not your heart on it. Because God has spoken this way. Once God has spoken, twice I've heard this. In other words, he's saying, this is final. This is truth we've discovered. Power belongs to God, and that to you, O Lord, belongs steadfast love. Now, that's one way of putting it. Power belongs to God, and to you, O Lord, belongs steadfast love. I could say it that way. Power belongs to God, and God is a God of steadfast love. Or I could say what I was taught when I was a child. God is great, and God is what? Good. And He will render each man according to his work. These are the truths here. Truth number one. My soul, your soul is designed to find its rest in God and God alone. Ach. Truth number two. Apart from God, this world around us is designed to do one thing and one thing only. What is that? Disappoint us. Ach. And truth number three here is, 
Any attempt to deny number one or number two is nothing but a lie. It's a delusion. Ah. And I might sometimes tend to think, well, I'm getting ahead if I have all my stuff. I've got health insurance. i got flood insurance. I'm ahead. Not in the end. Everything's so fragile. Everything can be falling apart. Everything can be stripped from us in just a second. A health issue, you, drip, you visit the doctor and all of a sudden everything's different. Your kids are driving down the street and there's somebody else driving who's not driving carefully. Everything's different. Oh, we need to understand truth, basic truths, bottom line truths. This is the real revelation God has given us. And this is the same thing we read in other passages of Scripture. In Isaiah 30, verse 15, the prophet says, In returning and rest, you'll be saved. In your quietness and your trust in God, everything will come together. In Lamentations, we read, It's good for a man or a woman to learn to wait quietly for the Lord. Don't strive, don't struggle, trust. And he's, our, he's our refuge. Throw out your heart to Him at all times. Trust in Him. Or in Exodus, Moses wrote, and he said, The Lord will fight for you. You just need to be silent and rest. Or Paul would say it in Philippians chapter 4, Don't be anxious about anything, but in everything give God the opportunity. Or John says it in 1 John, Don't love the world's ways. Don't love the world's goods. Love of the world simply squeezes out our love for the Father. Practically everything that goes on in the world, wanting our own way, wanting everything for ourselves, wanting to appear important and accumulate all kinds of things, these have nothing to do with the Father, and they just isolate us from Him. They keep us from Him, and the world and all of its wanting, wanting, and wanting is on the way out. But whoever does what God wants and searches for Him is set for eternity. And I would add a Hebrew word to that. Ah. Psalm 62 gives us three ancient truths. I hope you feel like you can count on our soul is designed to find our rest in God. In God only. Alone. Ach. This world is designed that apart from Him, it's just going to leave you hanging. Disappointed. Take it to the bank. Ach. And any attempt to deny, num to, to deny truth number one or truth number two is a deception and a deception only. Ach. Now, do these truths help us? My own personal observation? Yeah. These truths keep me in the straight and narrow. These keep, truths keep me out of the ditch. These truths, truths help me when I'm in difficult times. I think it helps to have a right perspective and an absolute sense of, ah, there's something to hang on to. And I got neighbors down in Texas who would tell you right now this is the one thing they have to cling to is that God is their refuge and their strength. He's their source of hope. Now, we can learn this our own way. If we have to have a storm, God will give us one, or we can watch other people go through storms sometimes and learn it. But I also know that in a crowd this size, it's unlikely that everyone walked in here today without any kind of storm going on. There's probably a few storms going on. Greg, are there a few storms in this congregation of people going through tough times? Let me give you advice. Your soul is designed to find its rest in God and God alone. Ach. Apart from God, this world's just going to let you down, disappoint you. Ach. And all the attempts the world makes to try to deny those two truths, 
It's just lies, deceptions, falsehoods, it's tricks. Ah. And I have to point out that as bad as Hurricane Harvey is, or Hurricane Irma turns out to be, or what's the new one? Jose. Jose. Jose, great. Yeah, we need another one right now, yeah. As bad as those things are, and the devastation that they cause, I would say that before Harvey ever landed in Houston, or Irma landed in Florida, or Jose lands who knows where, there was already devastation there. It's just the kind of devastation we let our eyes pass right over and we don't notice. There are people who don't have God at the center of their lives. That's why we need new churches. That's why we start new churches. We got a sheet over here on this table of our ministry. And a year ago when I was here, we had planted, I think at the time, 43. Now we just hired this week church planter number 49. I hope by the end of the year we'll have church planters 50, 51, and 52 already in the field. Why? Because a hurricane of a different kind has already hit. It's already doing damage. People are trying to fill their lives with stuff thinking that'll make them happy. No, it won't. Ugh. People are thinking this world's going to fill them with joy. No, it won't. Ugh. They'll look at me and say, no, but, 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 no. There are no buts. No, it's just truth. Ugh. It's God or nothing. Ugh. And that's why this community needs Southwoods. On your way here today, you drove by homes where hurricanes are happening. It's just not the kind that's going to make the news. Those people need Jesus and they need you. Ah. And we have towns all over the region that need churches that care. Ah. And your neighbors need you in a personal way. Ah. And we need God. And he's the only one we need. Let's find our hope in God and God only. Would you turn to him right now? Let's pray. Father, we confess that we are a people who fill our lives with noise and toys and distractions. We self-medicate ourselves to the point sometimes through a variety of means that we don't pay attention to you. And we know that this is not healthy. We know it's not good. Let us hear from the Hebrew writer here, basic truth, absolute truth, final truth. This is just the answer. I pray right now each one of us would turn to you and in our own way just say, God, I know I need you and it's you and it's you alone. Ah. And I know this world around me, this world around me is designed in such a way apart from you that I'm going to be disappointed in the end. Ah. And I know people are whispering in my ear, no, that's not true, that's not true, that's not true. And I know everyone that's whispering that is lying to me, whether they know it or not. Ah. So teach us, as the psalmist said, to trust in you at all times and to pour out our hearts to you. And I pray that as each one of us right now, our heart, wherever it's inclined, I pray our hearts are turning to you and we're looking to you only. And because we're looking to you only, we are going to find the answer. Life, joy, peace, love, hope. Thank you for being the God who shows up for us in such personal ways. We pray in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, who said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Ah, we believe him. Amen. Amen. Amen.
I'd ask you if you would stand with me. We're going to offer one more prayer for Phil and for his ministry. And uh, then we'll be dismissed. I'm just glad that you made it this morning. If you need prayer for something in your life, hope you'll hang around. And uh, we'd love to pray for you because I know there's, as he was making the, the point, there's just all kind of stuff going on in our individual lives. We need prayer. We ought to be able to receive prayer at church. So, uh, so if you need that this morning, we'd love to talk to you. If you need to make some other decision for Christ, we want to help you with that as well. So let's bow our heads and pray for Nexus and then... Uh, We'll be dismissed. Glad you made it this morning. Heavenly Father, we just thank you for Phil. Thank you for his leadership, his ministry. Thank you for Nexus and uh, all that they're doing to plant churches all over the Midwest. We're so grateful for their uh, partnership with you and us as a congregation to help uh, the gospel advance. We think of uh, the world in which we live where sometimes things have a veneer of togetherness, and yet just beneath the surface there's brokenness and pain and suffering and and God, we know that the churches that you're planting uh, through Phil are, are preaching the true gospel. They're preaching, preaching, elevating your word. They're exalting Christ. They're, they're changing communities for, for your kingdom's sake. And so, God, we just pray for more resources. We pray for more church planters. We pray for, for nucleuses of congregations in all of these cities and, and localities. We pray, Father, even for some of these small, struggling communities that, People are leaving. Pray for churches to be planted in those locations, Father. For Just pray for increased vision and increased resources that the gospel might advance right here in, in this country. We just look at the world. We look at our, our news, and there's no question we need a tremendous revival of your Holy Spirit's working right here in America, God. So we ask for that. We ask for your provision, your empowerment, your blessing and ask that you'd use us at Southwoods and you just fill Nexus and all of us uh, together uh, that your kingdom might come and that your will might be done in our lives, in our homes, in this community, throughout the Midwest, in this nation, and ultimately in your world. That's what we long for, God. Grateful for your grace, that you hear our prayers, that you care. Uh, Now walk with us this day as we head out. Help us to reflect on these things. Help us to order our lives around them. We'll give you credit for good results. Go with us now. It's in Jesus' name we pray together. Amen. Amen. Bless you all.